Hello there and welcome into another edition of the Intersection Podcast with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. The U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments recently in a case that could change the landscape of abortion in America. It's the Dobbs case out of Mississippi, where a 15-week ban on abortion was passed by the state legislature. Prayer is needed. You'll be hearing comments from Dave Kubal of Intercessors for America, who joined me on the day of the hearing. Also on this edition of The Intersection, you'll be hearing from former NFL player and coach Sherman Smith, who is featured in the Kendrick Brothers' new documentary film recently released on home video. He's involved in a powerful father-son storyline in the movie. And on this edition of The Intersection, it's Brock Eastman, a.k.a. Dr. Fizzlebop. He returned to the Meeting House recently to discuss the ongoing activity of the doctor who uses scientific experiments to help kids learn not only more about science, but the God of science, our Creator God. His comments are ahead. Then it's time for some Christmas inspiration with Tom Leibacher, who has attempted to capture in a book release the true meaning and spirit of Christmas. He provides some insight into the concept and plot of his novel, Ahead. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Dave Kubal serves as president and CEO of Intercessors for America. And on the day of those oral arguments before the U.S. Supreme Court in the Dobbs case out of Mississippi, he shared some observations and encouraged prayer with respect to this case about which the decision is anticipated sometime in 2022. Here now from that conversation is Dave Kubal. Intercessors for America actually was uh, was birthed in 1973, just a few months after the uh, dreadful road decision was released upon our nation legalizing abortion on demand. And so not only have we been praying for 50 days, we literally have been, been praying for nearly 50 years mm. for the reverse of Roe v. Wade. So there's been one case in the last few years, Casey, that had the opportunity to do damage to Roe, and it didn't come through. But this one does particularly. <clears throat> so just to break this case down, in 1973, a, uh, the Supreme Court decided that there is a definition of viability which is limited to liabi- liability outside of the womb that for the court's decision-making uh, process, they decided that that's when life begins. And so, um, so viability outside of the womb at 23 weeks was their determining point. And the law, Roe, even said that if there could be viability outside of the womb at an earlier date, then this, this law would be mute. And, of course, that's 1973 technology. And so here we are nearly 50 years later, and, of course, technology has changed. Of course, um, fetuses, babies can survive outside of the womb um, um, earlier than that. And so this law needs to be struck down. But, but let's just be honest with men and women of faith. There is a deception going on in America today that we must have this definition of viability that is defined as sustainability outside of the womb. 
that elevates man to the point where man can determine when mm-hmm. when life is created and when science and it elevates science so that science really is elevated uh, above God. But the simple facts are that viability means sustainability in the fetus. The baby is sustainable in the womb from the point of conception. So there's been a deception that's been released upon America and upon the church to think, oh, whenever life is viable outside of the womb or whenever babies can feel pain or whenever we sense the heartbeat, that's when we should limit abortion. Well, I got to tell you that, that God creates created us in our mother's womb. He wonderfully made us, and we are viable from the point of conception. Bob, I can prove it to you. Pinch yourself. Are you alive? Absolutely. Then you are a perfect example <laughs> of yeah. a baby that was sustainable and viable since the moment of conception. Take us through some of the, as we might say, the the talking points, or more accurately said, prayer points that people can be praying here over the days and months to come. Yeah, that's a good question, and and I I think that um, first of all that it, uh, you could take a number of different angles, but listen, we need we need these justices to be convicted that life needs to be protected. And for some of the justices, it may just be defining in their own minds the sustainability of life outside of the womb at 15 weeks. And then that gives the opportunity for, uh, for Roe to be chipped away at in states across this nation. So that is certainly one way to pray. Another way to pray is for uh, justices, and I think we can count on um, Justice Thomas primarily to come out with this opinion that that there is a strong legal case, strong moral case to present to the American people that the only conclusion is that that life begins at conception. I mean, if you fast forward 100 years or 200 years, at some point there will be the technology for a fetus at whatever days or weeks to survive outside of the womb. So at some point that moving line is going to happen. Um, and are going to go younger and younger and younger. And so our justices need to be prepared for that, and they need to make that clear decision now, and I think that will be the case. And then I think that we need to pray for the justices, that they stick to the decision that they make, that there would not be bribery or or um, potential uh, threats against their lives or their family and loved ones in order for them to go vote in a particular manner. So those are just a few ways that we could be praying for this. Dave Kubal here on The Intersection. You can find out more about the organization by going to ifapray.org. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's former NFL player and coach Sherman Smith. In our recent conversation, he shared about his involvement in the Kendrick Brothers documentary, Show Me the Father, and shared information about his walk with Christ, as well as the relationship between himself and his biological son. Here now from that Meeting House conversation is Sherman Smith. This young man and I, you know, we met when he was a senior in high school because I recruited him. You know, when I first started coaching, I started coaching in high school. And then I, in uh, 2000, I mean, excuse me, in, in uh, 89, good grief, man, we're going way back there. I, you know, went to the college level. And that's when I started recruiting uh, the high school level, and I met this young man. I recruited him. He came to Miami of Ohio. I coached him for a year, and we just maintained a relationship uh, from that point on. 
And so, you know, I knew he was adopted. So he called me one day in 2017 and told me that he had started looking for his biological parents, that uh, Pennsylvania, where he was adopted, had released and opened up where, you know, where people that were adopted could get their birth records. And he, he got his birth record and he told me I found my biological mom. And I was excited for him, man, that's great to hear. You know, um, he told me her name. And when he told me her name, you know, my heart kind of sank right there because I knew this person and I knew her in a way that, you know, before he could tell me, I, I, I probably knew what he was going to say. And he said, I asked who my father was, and she said it was you. And so, you know, and so it began at that point right there where, you know, this shock to me for D, for Dylan and for um, for Carol, you know, it was a, you know, it was an excitement. They had discovered, she had discovered the son that she had put up for adoption. He had found his biological parents. But for me, I didn't know that I had a son out there, even though, you know, my behavior shouldn't, shouldn't have surprised me, you know, but I didn't know that I had a son out there. And uh, so for me, it was a moment of gathering, by getting myself together because I was shocked, hurt, uh, you know, hmm. about this discovery, you know, of mine, you know, I, it wasn't excitement for me at first because, you know, I was just thinking that, you know, my irresponsibility, you know, my recklessness that I was the reason why this young man grew up and did not know who his biological father was. I knew who my dad was. My dad had played an important role in my life. And I just felt so bad that, you know, I had been responsible for him not, uh, you know, having that same thing that I had growing up. So tell me about how this discovery, and we'll take it from a couple of different angles. First of all, as you mentioned, you had a, a range of emotions, and here you have, I guess you might say, this course of your life, this trajectory that you were on. I would imagine this really kind of turned things upside down, didn't it? <laughs> well, you know, it did in a sense, you know, because like at the time that, you know, I was told this, you know, I've been married for over 40 years and had, you know, two kids through my marriage. And so really when he told me, Bob, my only concern at that point was for my wife and my two kids. I really wasn't concerned about what other people might think or have to say. I was just concerned about how this was going to impact them. And so that that was my major, major concern. But I realized, you know, as, as – we got into it, and I, later on that night, I shared with my wife, you know, the phone conversation, and, uh, you know, I think the healing process started to begin for, for me right then, the way my wife handled it. Uh, she handled it. When I told her the news, she said, well, I guess our family just got bigger. I want to go meet my four grandsons, and she just welcomed him into the family uh, right then, you know, and so my wife. She didn't, you know, there was no drama with her. I think God had prepared her heart for this as well. And so with my kids, you know, my daughter lives here in the, in the Nashville area, so I went to talk to her and let her know. And first question, she said, well, how's mom? I said, mom is great. And she said, you know what, I always wanted an older brother. So she welcomed him. Then my son came for Thanksgiving. I told him, first question, how's mom? Mom is great. And he was great. So our family, not just my kids and my wife, but my extended family, my brothers, my cousins, my everybody else, welcome dealing in. And so that's, that's how it started. But like I said, Bob, for me, it was, uh, when John Minton, the, the producer of the E60 film, when he did this story, he asked me what, what I named it 
than the E60 story. I said I would name it from guilt to grace. Mm. Because when I first heard about it, man, like I said, I felt so guilty. You know, there was no shame. It wasn't, oh, I'm embarrassed and all that other stuff. You know, God didn't put that on me because I know, you know, the freedom I have in Christ, you know, man, my sins are forgiven, you know, so I I need to deal with the people that I need to deal with, and they were giving me grace. So I wasn't worried about anyone else in that aspect. Sherman Smith here on The Intersection. You can find out more about the film by going to showmethefathermovie.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. Through that homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. There are links to the podcast through the homepage, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple Podcast feed. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. You can also find information and links for video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Search for Faith Radio Podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast platforms. Moving on now with this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Brock Eastman. He writes for Clubhouse and Clubhouse Junior from Focus on the Family. He's also worked with Adventures in Odyssey. In our recent conversation, he talked about the character he created called Dr. Fizzlebop, who blends science together with faith. He's the author of a book entitled Faith and Science with Dr. Fizzlebop, 52 Fiztastically Fun Experiments and Devotions for Families. From that conversation, this is Brock Eastman. I grew up in a Christian home, and so I've always known and believed that this world we have has been created by an intelligent designer, a God who made us a marvelous place of beauty and design and all the intricacies of that work each day are because of him and because of the plan he put in place from the very beginning. In fact, we've got an experiment that, that's coming up uh, in the beginning of the year talking about the picture of the spirit hovering over the earth. It's actually a CD hovercraft. But the beauty of the idea of when God was over the formless, what would be the earth, thinking about what am I going to do here? What am I going to do? How am I going to mold this? So from the very beginning of time, thinking about God as an intelligent designer was inspirational to me and an idea. And I've got four kids and they go to school. And a lot of times we see that those faith elements, that idea of an intelligent creator has been pulled out of that general education. And so my hope is that this book will help families engage together around the kitchen table or the, or the dining room table and do experiments and talk about when they see science interact and they see these experiments and how they work, relating it back to the fact that we have an intelligent God who did that and created that. And also tying it to themes from the Bible that say, hey, you know what, Declan, he's my little guy. He's actually going to join us in a second for an experiment. It's, you know, when you're, when you're struggling about forgiveness, here's a story. And here's a, here's a thing, you, an object lesson. You might remember object lessons, you know, growing up, the pastor would get on stage and do this really cool object lesson. That's what I want these to be. Parents to be able to do an experiment and use it as an object lesson for kids to build and strengthen their faith from everyday things they might be experiencing or, or seeing at school or with their friends. 
Well, Brock, whether it be this book or your YouTube videos, you're not really wanting kids and their families to like open up the book and read it or to watch a YouTube video and be entertained by it, although it is possible to be entertained by the video or to read the book and be inspired by it. But you are promoting hands-on activity. You want the kids to do these experiments themselves or perhaps with their parents. So talk about, if you would, why that's so very important, that hands-on element. Yeah, you know, we, we are kind of in this crux right now. And, uh, you know, certainly the pandemic didn't help with moving us to a digital space even more so, right? And we see so often that kids have a lot of screen time and they're losing some of that tactile feeling and that learning and that wonder that they have um, when, they're, when they're doing things with their hands and they're experiencing something in the physical world. And it goes to that and parents, right? We are so often busy and distracted by the multitude of things that are coming at us. I don't know if you know this, but last year or this year, there were 824 brand new episodes released on Netflix. There were 250 on HBO Max and 150 on Disney. That's a lot of television and wow. that's just three channels, right? And, and I, I think my numbers are right. So if I'm not, forgive me, but I'm pretty sure those are the right numbers. That's just television. What about soccer and gymnastics and sports and all these other fun things for our kids to do? What about school all day? There are so many things pulling the family out and apart and having us do things and distracting us. I want this book to be an opportunity for mom and dad, for kids to come together and experiencing something together. These take five to 10, 15 minutes. We're not, we're not talking about a lot of time here. And we built it to be one a week, but come together as a family, experience this hands-on creativity, the wonder of seeing the experiment work. And then take a moment, discuss, because that's what science is, right? Discuss what you saw, the observations you made as a family, but also there's a devotional. Talk about what you felt, what you experienced in the devotional, and maybe how that's impacting your life today, or maybe questions you have as a child. Like when, when, uh, when we saw, for example, um, uh, Joseph and the coat of many colors, my favorite experiment is one is the walking rainbow. It's on the YouTube channel now. The idea here of this colorful, beautiful thing, often we think of Noah and his ark, right? And, and God's promise to never flood the earth again. But I want kids to also think about forgiveness. So when they see a lot of color or they're learning about primary and secondary colors, Think about forgiveness and the end result of Joseph's story where he forgave his brothers, even after all that time. And I think that's an amazing story. So I want kids to reflect from these experiments, from the devotional story, and then to take that and embody in their life and what they do each day in their interaction with their family and their friends. Brock Eastman, a.k.a. Dr. Fizzlebop, here on The Intersection. You can find him online at fizzlebop.com. His website is brockeastman.com. Well, you are listening to the Intersection Podcast. Tom Leibacher joined me recently on the Meeting House program. He discussed the inspiration for and the concept and plot of his novel, A Gift Most Rare, which is set in his hometown in New York State and attempts to capture the meaning of and essence of the Christmas season. Here now from that conversation is Tom Leibacher. The number one goal that governed everything from start to finish was to write a God-honoring Christmas story. And uh, I've explained that uh, numerous times. And what I, what I end up saying when I'm asked is that, you know, I have nothing against uh, Santa Claus or flying reindeer or toy making elves. It's some of the nicest folklore ever conceived, but it, it doesn't really connect at all with the real essential meaning of the Christmas event. And so uh, this story was going to be a God honoring Christmas story. Um, 
from start to finish and focus on, um, you know, biblical concepts, of course, the birth of the Savior, the promise and the birth of the Savior, but also uh, concepts like caring for others and especially those who are in need. And so one way that I, I tried to accomplish that was not just with the subject matter, but each chapter, for example, opens with a, a scripture verse that then sets the tone or sets the stage for what's about to unfold with that chapter. So, so again, the number one goal was to, to create a God-honoring Christmas tale. Interestingly, as the story was being written, a few other things began to develop as well. So, for example, um, I ended up uh, placing the story in the early 1970s. So it's kind of a fun period piece as well. And, and also a nice, you know, wholesome coming of age tale uh, uh, as well. Um, so it's, it's, it's those different things. But, but again, uh, above all else, it's a God-honoring Christmas tale. So Charlie Riverton is your, well, one of your main characters. Another of the mm -hmm. main characters is a, a newcomer, someone mm -hmm. who has just come to town. So first of all, let's talk about Charlie. What are some mm -hmm. of the things that, that he is facing? Well, Charlie is um, a, a pretty average uh, middle school-aged boy. He, he has a group of buddies, and they do all the fun and, and mischievous things that, that a lot of us did when we were in that age group. Um, uh, they play sports. They, they get into mischief. Uh, and, and one of the things that they grapple with is they're in that age where they first start to notice girls, and so trying to have complete intelligent conversations with girls and, and, and build friendships with them is, is part of their story. Um, but he also is different, and he's different in that he has a really, really good heart, a big heart. Uh, he loves church. He loves, uh, you know, youth group at church. Um, he loves uh, listening to sermons, and he, and he has a good relationship with his pastor. Uh, so Charlie is, is, on the one hand, he's, he's right in there in the mix of it with, with his buddies, uh, on the other hand, he's a very faithful uh, young young man, maybe even beyond his years, ahead of his years in, in that department. So there's this new person that comes to town. So tell me how mm -hmm. they met and a little bit about this, <laughs> this stranger. Yeah. Well, that stranger is Skylar Northbridge, and... Um, I confess openly, he is a thinly veiled angel character. <laughs> um, yes. not doesn't take you long to realize uh, he's, he's 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 not you know your mere mortal. Um, <laughs> not from around town. here, <laughs> to say right. the least. Yes, and uh, but you know what I what I wanted to do with the Skyler character was to have him resemble the image that I get when I read about angels in the Bible. When I read about angels, I feel like they must stand about 10 feet tall and they must have muscles on top of their muscles. They can fly. They can do anything. They can disappear. They, uh, so, so this character was definitely going to try to uh, be along those lines. So, you know, physically speaking, he's about six foot five, very broad shouldered and muscular, handsome guy with, you know, long sandy blonde hair and a thick, you know, full beard. And, um, and full of je ne sais quoi. He, he's not just 
become he doesn't just become Charlie's closest friend. Um, he's talked about by everybody all around town, you know, because he's got these unique characteristics that people can't quite put their finger on, but that they notice nonetheless. And he he becomes the focus of a lot of uh, attention that way. Tom Leibacher here on The Intersection. You can find him online at Tom Leibacher. That is spelled L-E-I-H-B-A-C-H-E-R. Well, we are nearing the conclusion of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. There are links to the podcast through the homepage to the Media Center as well as the Apple Podcast feed. Two blogs are accessible. One is the front room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And the other is the three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And you can find out more information about video content Plus, you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.